Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, and we've got back with us our favorite veterinarian, Dr. Jory Bachnick. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I know it's early for you. Thank you for help being uh, accommodating to me today. <laughs> yes. Well, you're on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. So I had to get up really early for this show. But you know what? I, I noticed you've had some hot weather. We've had some really hot weather. How's the summer been for pets? Uh, it's been a bit of a up and down, actually. Um, I'm finding the heat, although I love it. If you're going to have summer, why not have summer? But it's been exceptionally hot. And so I've seen a significant increase in heat strokes for the first couple of weeks, much more than I've seen in the past. Like I'll see one or two, but to see five in a day is, is unheard of. And that's kind of the, that's kind of like the, the new emerge common case that we're seeing is them coming in just flat and, you know, five degrees, six degrees over normal because they've been either left in the car, which everybody knows you're not supposed to do, but they still do it. Or you take the dog out for a run. And like the last one I had was this little Westie and they're bombing around in the sun, in and out of the woods. And the dog keeps going and going and going until it uh, falls over, you know, and it comes in at 105 degrees. Wow. Okay. So some common sense here. Don't run your dog in the middle of the day, look for shade, water, but also how do people know if their dog needs, like if it, if it's just a question of, you know, wet it down, cool it off or actually get it to the doctor? Well, I mean, you can just look at them. I mean, without even knowing medicine, you can see when your dogs are getting anxious or in distress. So signs of getting them getting hot or they're going to do what they need to do to cool themselves off. And mm-hmm. anyone who has a dog knows they'll just sit there and pant because that's how they blow off heat. They can't sweat, unlike us. So the only way they can blow off heat is to breathe in and out really fast and lose heat that way. But doing that also changes a couple things. It sort of drops their carbon dioxide, so it can change their acid base of their blood, but it's not a very efficient way of dropping heat. And so if they're just standing there panting and they're happy and whatnot, then you don't really need to worry, but they'll get this anxious look like they're panting like it's work and mm-hmm. they're not really responding and they're starting to get a little you know, reluctant to do things, but dogs are dogs. And if you show them that ball again, they're like, oh, well, this must be okay. And then halfway on the way back from retrieving, they fall over. When you see that your dog is just getting a little wobbly or, I mean, you're touching their ears or their feet and they're like on fire. That's, it's not, it's not a subtle thing. It's time to get them in. But in the process, depending on where you are, there are things you can do to really help them. And just think about what you would do for yourself. If you're overheated, you're going to wet them down. You got to get their, their armpits, their bellies, their feet. You don't want to pump water into them because they can choke because they're breathing so fast, but you start cooling them off. You don't dunk them in ice cold water, but any kind of tepid water on their bodies will help start dumping heat and just move them into the shade. All the things that you think you would do for yourself if you're too hot. But when they're flat or they're falling over and they're not responding, they've got to get in quick because they're cooking from the inside. And they've got to get into us so we can get IV fluids into them to start cooling them. And we can do more aggressive cooling measures, get them oxygen and all that kind of stuff to try to help them get them back to a much more normal, safe temperature. 
Okay. Well, okay. So if people listening are probably thinking you two are up in Canada. Why are you complaining about the heat? We have had heat here worse than anywhere, hotter than any temperatures in North America have been in, in my province of BC lately. And with heat, unfortunately, comes fire. So I want to talk about fire with Dr. Jory because fire has a lot of things with it. And first of all, what about the smoke? What can we do to help pets? Exactly what you would do for yourselves. So I know on the West Coast, people generally don't have air conditioners because they've got beautiful breezes. But if you're in an area where there's a forest fire and you're getting smoke coming in, you want to have your windows closed because all that nasty smoke is coming into your house. And if you know any people with asthma, smoke is bad for them. And if you know any cats or dogs with asthma, it's exactly the same thing. It affects your eyes, it affects your lungs, and it exacerbates all these underlying conditions and it can be really damaging to them. And some dogs who are well-managed, if they've got upper respiratory issues with their current plans, the second you introduce smoke, they decompensate and they do really badly, exactly the same as people. And so if your dog is in a position where that may happen, you may want to talk to your vet about what can you have on hand in case you need something additional to help open up their airways and help them to breathe. So some of my animals will go on puffers, some of them will go on like bronchodilators, or some of them will have steroid puffers on hand so that if they uh, have an, an asthmatic episode stimulated by the smoke, they have something on hand they can treat rather than trying to have to run back in to see me. I, I have a trouble imagining what, what is it like to use a puffer on a dog or a cat? You need to use, they have a couple devices you can use. They're essentially like plastic cones of different varying shapes and sizes. But I find for cats and a lot of the small to medium sized dogs, and this is a truly Canadian solution, I find the varying sizes of Tim Horton's cups for coffee work really, really well. Okay. Because you can put you can cut the bottom out for the puffer to keep it snug. And the small, medium, large sizes fit a pretty good proportion of dogs. And they usually last for a couple of days. So having a couple of those Tim Hortons cups on hand, I find really, really helpful. But you can okay. actually buy veterinary specific aero chambers, like you have aero chambers for children. Well, they have them for pets and they have varying sizes. And if you've got an animal who's going to need something regular, that would be the best way to go. But if I have a puppy in who's got some pretty significant upper respiratory illness and when they need a bronchodilator, I'll use a small Tim Hortons cup and I find it works pretty good. Okay, well, we're going to go to a break and we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the summer and what you need to know to keep your pet safe with Dr. Jory. Stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello. 
Hello, we're back on Animal Party Bet Live Radio. It's me, Deb Wolf, your host, and I am coming to you from one of the hottest places in North America right now, British Columbia, where we've seen fires. Unfortunately, there's one out of control in Kamloops, many fires going, and heat like we've never seen before. In the middle of this, there was some footage of a camper, an RV, traveling on a hot, hot highway on a hot, hot day with a German shepherd in a kennel strapped to the back, completely in distress. Loads of people took film of it. They called the SPCA. They ended up finding the people. So hallelujah on that. And the dog got apprehended and the dog is on its way to wellness. But don't leave your dog exposed. I see this all the time. I was driving behind a pickup the other day and the two dogs were out in the back, unsecured, but not only that, exposed to the heat and the sun. And people just aren't realizing how hot it is. Right, Dr. Jory? Yeah. For me, one of the things that I find that is a very common problem, I had the great fortune of having a Starbucks open up right next door to me. So we are there all the time, but I can see all the time that people will go tie their dog up to the door, leave it there and go in and get their coffees. So now you've got your any kind of dog for that matter, tied up to the door or tied up to a parking um, post so that it's half into the parking lot or and half on the sidewalk left alone. So A, the, yes, they're in the sun and they're in the heat, but then you add the, the variables of traffic, of children, of people who might just be afraid in and out. And it's, it's just an enormous recipe for disaster. I'm sorry. I just... Your coffee's not that important. If you really desperately need it, leave your dog at home. Don't take it and leave it in the parking lot tied up. And especially when it's 47 degrees and its poor little feet are cooking off because it's like a fry pan, don't do that. Just just, just straight up simple. You wouldn't leave your two-year-old tied up in the parking lot. Don't leave your dog there. People forget about the pavement. That's my rant for today. Sorry about that. No, that's important. And you know, the nicest, sweetest dog is not going to be nice and sweet to strangers when his feet are burning, when he's on fire. So, you know, he's dangerous. That's not fair to everyone else either. And why are you doing that to your dog? I saw someone the other day just, yes, like I just, oh, okay. When I take my dogs in the car on a hot day, it's because we're going to the vet. And they're the one that needs the ride, right? Like, I don't take them just for company. It's just not safe. I don't know how to get people to leave them at home. I know your dog acts like he wants to go, but he doesn't realize it's going to be 52 degrees in the car. <laughs> he, if he knew, he'd stay home. And if you want your coffee, take your dog for their walk, leave them at home, then go get your coffee. Don't leave them to be potentially harmed in the parking lot of Starbucks or Tim's or anywhere else for that matter, because it's not fair to them. And it's not fair to everybody else. I find it an incredibly selfish thing to do. And people, I find very interesting because the argument I'll get, because I can't seem to help myself when I point these things out to the persons who are doing it, oh, my dog's really well behaved. I'm like, well, that's not actually the case here. You've left it outside. It's wandering around. It's cooking on the pavement. And if something happens, any dog's going to react like a dog. It is completely unfair and completely selfish. And I find generally it's people who are trying to show off that they know how to train and look at my dog. Well, if you really love them, then put them first before your pride. Walk them, exercise them, love them, let them stay home, and then bring them something back and get your coffee and don't worry about it. 
Well, the other thing about parking lots I always worry about, especially with a thirsty dog, is they're going to find antifreeze. They're going to find windshield cleaner. They're going to find some puddle of something tasty that is going to kill them because nobody's, you know, there's no water and they're thirsty. So, okay. Plus there's that Starbucks bacteria full of kennel cough bucket. Do you oh, really yeah. want your dog? Gotta love the bucket. <laughs> I mean, it's well-intentioned. It's very well-intentioned, but it's, it is a bucket. But also, what if, you, you know, you've got little kids coming out of there with treats in their hands. I'm sorry. And you have the nicest Labrador, and I've got one. Mm-hmm. He's going for it. You know, it's walking by. They wave it to the dog. And then they get their finger nipped in the process of an innocent thing. Now you have an enormous problem. And it was completely avoidable. Yes. Okay. So don't put your dog through that. Let's just get to the, okay. So one more thing on smoke is I've found that if you're in a region that you predict is going to get smoke or you've got smoke already, you can start adding yams to your dog's diet, cook them and add them in because they will help. It's just one of the properties of yams for people too. They help us cleanse our bodies. So that can help a little bit. Okay, so let's move on to some of the other summertime hazards. What about the fleas and the ticks? How are they faring this year, Dr. Joy? We have tons and tons. I mean, parasites out west has always been quite good, but in southern Ontario, we've done a really good job of cleaning up our environment. And as a result, if you look around, we have more rabbits, foxes, coyotes than we've ever seen. And subsequently, we have both internal parasites and external. So if you think fleas and ticks, those are the parasites that crawl on your pets. Internal parasites are the ones they ingest and are living inside. And for me, the biggest one that we're seeing a dramatic rise in is Giardia, which is a water-based parasite that's carried by almost every creature you see if you look into our environment and is transmissible to people. And so this is something that you really want to be checking on a regular basis, especially if your dog's in and out of the water, because that's where it's carried and they're drinking it when it's this hot. And that's how they'll get it. And at times it can be a bit of a drag to get rid of um, because the parasite in and of itself is becoming more resistant. And because it's transmissible, know if the environment you're in has Giardia because you can pick it up yourself. As when I used to canoe trip guide, I acquired it twice. And while it's an excellent way to lose 25 pounds in about three weeks, it's not something I'd recommend. With respect to ticks and fleas, because you've got all this wildlife out there, they're spreading it all over the place. And so people who have dogs who just are in their backyard, who don't think they need any kind of anti-parasite treatment, it's true, your risk is much reduced, but because these creatures don't respect fences, they're in everybody's backyard. And so while you may not need the breadth of coverage as a dog like yours or mine who like to go into the woods and are out all over the place, you definitely want to make sure you're at least protecting your dog against fleas because they're everywhere. And once they get into the house, it's just an enormous drag to get rid of them. Okay, I want to go back a little bit. So when when you get your puppy vaccines and you're given a choice of lepto, Mm-hmm. which I thought was for dirty water. So if your puppy accidentally drinks a dirty puddle or a puddle with poop, he's not going to get sick. That doesn't help with Giardia? Is, are they no, there things? used to be a Giardia vaccine, but it, it was not as good as we would have hoped. The, oh. it, it showed good promise when it came out. But over time, the data did not support really using it for most of our dogs. And so I stopped carrying it. Leptospirosis is actually carried by all the little creatures, mice, um, chipmunks, squirrels, raccoons, rats, and it's in their urine. And oh. people used to think of it as a farm dog illness. But if you really think about where mice and rats tend to live the most, it's a city disease. Mm-hmm. And so 
this is a disease that gets into their kidneys and kills them. And so what we, I strongly recommend that most, if not all of our dogs get vaccinated against lepto. This is a very controversial discussion with some breeders because many breeders believe their breed is too sensitive to the lepto vaccine. It causes too many reactions. And so they don't want to give it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There's no data to support that. With my anecdotally, with my standard poodles and golden doodles and labradoodles, been breeding since 2005, always get the lepto vaccine on second and third vaccines when I, when I still have the puppies. I mean, if, I'm, if they're in my custody at that sure. time and never had a reaction. Lepto is probably the most common of the vaccines to have a reaction. I can say I haven't seen one in about five years, but sometimes like any other injection you give, if you're sensitive to it, you can have a bad reaction. The last bad reaction I probably had was about 16 years ago. And uh, it was a standard poodle, Mr. Blue Roberts, because when these bad reactions happen, they leave an imprint, but that was, he's now 17. What does a bad reaction look like? Like what happened to him? So he, um, he actually collapsed before I had actually finished giving him the vaccine with an anaphylactic reaction. So that was a, a moment of, oh, please wait here. We'll be right back. And we run to the back and give him atropine and epinephrine and steroids. And two minutes later, he wakes up and he's like, oh, I don't particularly liked that. And so we don't give him that. We never stopped. That was the last vaccine for that particular dog that he ever got lepto. But it's something you just know can happen. So you're prepared for it. But it's like any of our children who need vaccines when they're young, the infinitesimal risk of a vaccine reaction like that versus the incredible benefit of not getting all these illnesses. I mean, I think this discussion is kind of apropos in the middle of COVID far outweighs any kind of risk. And so I'm a huge preventative medicine person. And so if I can keep my good, my job is to keep your pets from getting sick so that when you come to me for your wellness exam, I get to look at your dog or cat or ferret or any other animal for that matter and go, look, they're doing fantastic. They're not heavy. Their eyes look good. They might need a dental cleaning. Great exam. Off you go. But one of the things I can't stand is when I have puppies coming in and they have parvo. And they're dying Um, unnecessarily or they have lepto in the three-year-old Labrador, you know, who goes to the cottage all the time. The owner declined lepto because the breeder says they shouldn't have it. And it's going to die shortly of kidney failure. And it was a completely preventable illness. So while we have to be mindful, we should not be fearful. And I think that's sort of my mantra. And it's all about what is the risk versus the benefit. And it's very straightforward. And there's so much information, unfortunately, that's not good. And instills fear that people look at it because it's sensational and then they follow that. And then it creates a massive amount of work for us to undo the damage of it. I want to talk a little more about Giardia, if you don't mind, because it surprises me that you're saying it's such a a problem, so widespread. And so what do we do about it? How do we avoid it? How do we recognize it? How do we treat it? So a lot of puppy, I mean, I see uh, the first time I diagnose Giardia often is on first visit with puppies. Um, because it's a, it's a waterborne parasite. It can be challenging to get rid of the environment. It's carried by waterfowl. Again, it's carried by all these animals that we've brought back by in, uh, improving the quality of our environment. So rabbits are everywhere. Foxes, raccoons, all these creatures carry it and pass it around. Any dog who likes to eat animal poop, and that's pretty much all of them, is at risk of getting it. Now, a healthy dog's immune system when they're adults is pretty good at removing it sometimes all on its own, but it's younger dogs that you want to get rid of it. And it's important to know that if it's in your environment, that it's there because you can become susceptible to it. So if you think about golf courses, 
Now, probably every golf course pond, unless they're treating it chemically, will probably have Giardia in it. We have all these other standing bodies of water all over our, our beautiful country with lots of little creatures in it. So bodies of water that don't flow quickly are the kinds of bodies of water that will carry this parasite. So in Ontario, if you think about Algonquin Park or Tomogamy or Killarney, these are places where we spend a lot of time canoeing that have a lot of Giardia. And that's where I got it. Is, is this beaver fever? Is that what this is? Is? Oh, oh, it's beaver fever. Okay, okay. Slang word for it. I've known about this for years. So this <laughs> nope. isn't new. Okay. No, it's not new. It's just become much more prevalent because our wildlife population has become much healthier and is much more numerous. Okay, so how do we know if our dog or cat has it? All of a sudden, they start sort of not eating well, getting chronic recurrent waxing, waning diarrhea. Those are one of the two most common signs, and we test for it, and we've got really good tests. The problem with diagnosing Giardia is it's sometimes hard to find on a routine poop sample that we do in the office because mm. the parasites or the cysts don't float well. They swim, so it's hard to find them. So we've got these really good antigen tests, if we've never tested them before, that will pick up the Giardia antigen. And if they test positive, then you know they've been exposed. And if they have all the symptoms, then they likely have it. And so we treat it. What's the treatment? Is it antibiotics? No, it's um, anti-parasite anti, um, medication, the most common being something like fenbendazole or Panicure. It's, there are lots of common medications that we use that work well. We used to use metronidazole, but over time I find it's become less and less effective. And so it's usually a three to five day course. And then you do a follow-up poop sample that you send out to the lab to look for the cysts and the parasite. And if they are clear, generally speaking, now they're clear. So when you said you do a different test, did you mean you do a blood test now? Is that what that um, No, they're, these are poop tests. But all, all of it's poop tests. And then do people use, what if a person, if you find out your puppy or your kitten has it and you're treating your puppy or your kitten, should you treat yourself? No, and then- I, find, I wouldn't do, go that far. <laughs> unless you've got, I mean- the, the incidence of transmission from pet to human is very low. You're much more likely to have acquired it from outside. Unless, of course, you perhaps sometimes you're on a farm. And uh, it's one of the ways, another way that I got it, because when you're working in with a lot of animals and a lot of poop, that's some of the ways you can fall or get smacked mm-hmm. in the face or stuff. So that's one of the ways you can get it. But it's very rare to go from pets to humans. And routine hygiene, don't let your puppies lick themselves and lick their face. But recognize that if you have more than one dog, they will transmit it between each other. And right. so if one of your dog gets it, you want to treat all the animals in the house at the same time so they don't keep going around and around in a circle. Cats too? Like cats too. Okay, everybody. Everybody. Oh, and that's, certain that's animals can become, become challenging to get rid of because the meds don't work very well. And then they become chronic giardia shedders for months to years. And so that's why it's good to find out early if they've got it, treat it aggressively, get rid of it so you can avoid those kind of outcomes. What kind of medicine do people take when they have it? That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. I, st- I think they Probably might be taking fenbendazole, actually, or they take albendazole. There's different varieties of the same sort of similar classes of drugs. I'd have to defer to the, my much smarter wife, who's the human doctor. Oh, I see. Well, we're going to go to break and come back and talk more with Dr. Jory and me, Deb Wolf, on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Stay tuned. Take a bite out of your competition. 
Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello. We're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio with Dr. Jory Bachnick coming to us from just outside of Toronto, where it's been really hot, but not as hot as it's been here near Vancouver, BC. And we were talking about the heat and parasites, and we started to work our way around to fleas and ticks, but but I stopped you and went back to Giardia. So maybe you want to talk about fleas and ticks a little bit, Dr. Jory. This is the time of year. This is sort of like the first big peak of flea tick season. And they're out there and they're hungry and our pets are the McDonald's for them. And so as someone who prefers to prevent rather than treat, uh, there are lots of good preventions that are available. There are topicals and there are orals. Given my three different animals, my three dogs, two of them are on orals. My Dalmatian, who's got a sensitive stomach, can't take anything oral, so she's on a topical. And they all work very, very well. Once you have fleas in your home, it is an enormous amount of work to get rid of them. And so it's always easier to prevent than to treat. One thing that people don't really have in Canada still don't really think that much about, at least in the East Coast, is ticks. Because five, six years ago, we never had them. But with our environment changing, they are here now in force and we have lots of Lyme disease. And I think it's really important to know that if you're, you get a tick on your animal, you can take it into your vet to get it tested and identified to see A, if it's the type of tick that will carry it and B, if it is, because not only will it come in on your pet and get a hold of your pet and potatoes, give it Lyme, it can give it to your entire family. And ticks are hard to find. And so it's a good idea to, if you're out for a walk at the end of the day, to give yourself a good little check over and to give your pet a good check over. And for those of, uh, there are some of our clients who are very anti-medication use, or you want to use as minimal amounts of medications as possible. And that's fine. There are a lot of what are considered natural remedies. And we've shown time and time again, that every single natural remedy either is no better or is worse than treating them with placebo. So for me, I would rather not give your dogs bruge yeast or garlic or well, with toxic, but any of these natural remedies, because I don't want to give people the false sense of security that what they're doing actually may help. But there is one non-chemical way of checking your pets for ticks and fleas for that matter. You know, the lint rollers that are like tape and you peel them off yeah. after each time you roll them. And you can get them at like the dollar store really inexpensively. After you go for a walk, roll your dog with a lint roller with the kind that you can tear off. The fleas and ticks will stick to it. And so if you roll your dog and you find a tick on there, you know for sure that your dog is exposed and it's most likely not the first one. So I used to do that on my wolfhound all the time because he was like a tick magnet. You can never find them on him. So you just rolled his body after each one. So they didn't come into the house. And I would usually pull off two or three after any good long walk in any kind of woodlot out here now. So that is a very good way of doing it naturally. When you say pull 
people are very afraid to pull a tick off a dog. Mm -hmm. They're afraid they're going to leave the head of the tick inside the dog or some, or that it's going to somehow attach to them or that there's going to be some kind of contamination of blood and tick dangerous stuff coming out of the wound, right? Like there's a lot of fear. So what are they supposed to do? So if you, it takes a couple hours for the ticks to latch on. So if you roll this lint roller on, the tick won't have an opportunity. And just by grabbing it with a tweezer, and what you don't want to do is you don't want to pull directly. What you want to do is kind of unscrew a tick. So you twist them to the left like you would if you're unscrewing a screw. To unscrew them, if they're embedded in your dog's skin, you can unscrew them that way, and that generally pulls everything out. If you're really worried, don't touch it. Take it to your clinic, and they'll take it out for you. But if you go online, there are all kinds of tick removal devices. Not that I'm plugging anybody, but I've my preference has been for this little device called a D-ticker. I found it a few years ago when I was in California, and I've never been able to find it since. I've had three plastic ones, and I guard it with my life because I find it's the best way to pull to get these ticks off your dogs. But a tweezer that you untwist them with works fine, but there are lots of different devices that you can find. And what you do, if you get them off, you pop it into a little Ziploc bag or a plastic container, take the tick into your clinic. They can identify it. They can send it off to be tested to see if it's a, if it's the type that will carry Lyme and B if it is, because if it is, then you now know you have it in your environment. And if you were questionable about should I or should I not use a preventative for ticks, now you know that you've got this in your environment. They do carry Lyme disease. You don't want that in your house and you should have your pets on a prevention for it. Okay. So Lyme, this is the other thing I want to ask you. I always get that standard for my dogs as part of our yearly vaccine. Yep. Is it ineffective or is it effective? The Lyme vaccine is pretty good. You're not going to get Lyme disease from your dog. You get your Lyme disease from the ticks that get on you. No, no. I mean, for them. I, yeah, yeah, it's quite it's, it's, it's quite effective. Again, it's here's where we go with risk benefit. A lot of people want to give the least amount of vaccine possible. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think you would want to give your animal the most protection possible. But for those who say, well, I only do sidewalk walking and I'm only in my backyard, do I need a Lyme vaccine? I said, well, I think that's a very reasonable question. And I think your exposure then likely is quite low. So if that's a vaccine you want to forgo for the near future, then I would say fine. And if your lifestyle changes, we can always add it later. If you start going to the cottage or you discover some of the beautiful trails around your area and you want to start walking in that area, now maybe you want to reconsider the option of not giving it Lyme because now the risk goes up. You know, or if you were a big hiker, hunter, your dog's out and about a lot, but as your lifestyle changes, you got older and you're not doing those things, then perhaps it's something you want to stop giving. I don't know. I still think like any park, any area of grass can have a tick. Any dog that, that visited the forest the day before and then walked along that sidewalk the next day could drop a tick that could find your dog. Like, I just don't understand people thinking their dogs. I get this with fleas a lot. I'll get people who have obviously got a flea problem on their dog and maybe a hot spot too and some secondary and they just will not know. We do not have flea. We do not have fleas. We do not have flea. And it's like, you know, you could get fleas from visiting a pet store and having it jump into your bag that you brought with you. You don't have, you're not a dirty person because no. you happen to have a flea on your dog. Fleas are part of natural part of our environment. It's like mosquitoes. It's not about being clean or being dirty. They're here. And so to think that you're going to avoid them just because you don't want them is sort of fooling yourself. It's just part of our natural environment. It's just the way it goes. Don't have to go anywhere special. 
my dog's a purebred. He's registered. We do not have fleas. I'm sorry, but that really isn't, isn't going to help you. <laughs> okay. So yeah, prevention is better. And, and yes, an infestation can happen so fast and it can be so stubborn to get rid of. And it's so much easier to prevent it, everyone. He's so right about this. Because I mean, it's the bedding, it's the carpet, it, it's really all your clothes. It, it's really, really bad when it invades. Right, Dr. Joy? It's, uh, and getting rid of it once it's in your house, it's okay. This is your weekend job now is vacuuming and treating and cleaning and everything has to be washed twice, dried twice on high. It's just a drag. So why and, do and, it? Uh, yeah. And that's the first time. The second, third time you're thinking, okay, what can we remove? Exactly. Let's get rid of this carpet. We don't want this. We don't want that. We want hard surfaces. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Joy. We've run out of time. My pleasure. It's been a great show and I hope we can keep some animals safe from the heat and the smoke and the fleas and the parasites and Giardia. Keep them all safe from the summer hazards and I'll have you back and do another show real soon because I have some emails for you. So I hope you'll come back and talk to me about Looking forward to it. With a bit of an eyelash problem. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Joy. All right, everybody, from Animal Party, me, Deb Wolf, Pet Life Radio, and Dr. Jory, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.